Welcome to the reading room. This is Room 29. A young grave robber comes head to head with Oliver Cromwell and gets much more than he bargained for. The reading room presents Cromwell's Talking Head, written and performed by Gareth Calway. Cromwell's Talking Head Chapter 1 Heading Off a Burglar Good evening, young master. Welcome to my grave. You're a burglar, I see. And you've been digging up a national treasure. And now you're in a deep hole, face to face with a hacked-off head of security. So deep, you're never getting out again. What's that you're screaming? I meant no disrespect to the crown, Mr. Ed, but I got mouths to feed. The crown? Who said anything about the crown? This treasure belongs to the nation. I've got a face like a sow's what? What do you expect? I'm dead. The name's Oliver, by the way. Oliver Cromwell. Pleased to meet you. They put an axe through my neck 350 years ago. Eight swings of the butcher's blade before they got my bloodless head off. I was never so hacked off in my life. Why did they do it? I chopped off the king's head. So his son chopped off mine. No, I am not having a laugh. I can't. And you'll be laughing on the other side of my face if I get any more of your cheek. Me and 58 soldiers chopped off the head of King Charles I in 1649. The only time the people of England ever topped a king and became the head of their own nation. Am I famous? Oh yes, I'm in all the history books and I was on the head side of the coins until they brought the kings back. Have I been on I'm a Celebrity? Son, I'd rather eat my own face. Can you have an autograph? Not something I can really put my hand to. May you shake my hand instead? If you can find it. My hand is 200 miles away, in a tomb in Yorkshire, along with what's left of my body. How about a nose rub? There you go. Now we're talking. Now you're famous. Only the special ones go head to head with me, or pick what used to be my brains, or find out where my headless body is. But over the next 30 minutes, you'll hear it all, and then you'll be a celebrity until you die. Oh, stop yowling like a scared cat. What? You're too young to die. You didn't mean nothing. You was just on the Cambridge College tour, honest, Governor, and you got lost. At midnight, six feet underground, pull the other one, mate, if you can find it. Not your lucky day. No, son, but it is mine. September the 3rd. The day God and I won my great battles in 1649, 1650 and 1651. 
the day my soul went to heaven in 1658, the day this spike through my head was hit by a thunderbolt and started the Great Fire of London in 1666. That'll teach Londoners to chop my head off and put it up on a roof. My lucky day. But you make your own luck, son. Chapter 2 Heading off on holiday. I made it my lucky day. My annual holiday. Or as I used to call it, holy day. And every September the 3rd since 1658, I've had a get-together with my bones. You can join us. No, I insist. I said no, I insist. Put that national treasure down and we'll head north to Newborough, Yorkshire. You don't like Newborough. It's not the sunniest holiday home, true, and frankly, a bit dead, especially in Bod's bolt hole. Pull that postcard out of my chops. It's from Bod, my body. Read it. You can't read? You should learn to read. People can't mislead you so much when you can read. All right, I'll read it. Bod's Bolt Hole, Friday. Dear Head, wish I was there. I'm sweating green seepage like a dead pig and nothing makes sense without you. I need to freshen up. It's like worms have been nibbling my bits for three and a half centuries. Not to mention spiders and centipedes and maggots. And the rats. Gross. And the endless cold and damp is wearing me down, really getting on my nerves, muscles, sinews, gristle, veins, bones. Bod goes on a bit, but he's got a lot of time on his hands. Needs to get out more. That mummy cloth they wound us in in 1658, as much use as a wet blanket on a funny bone at Christmas. I'll catch my mouldering death up here. Can't wait for our stroll down memory lane on September the 3rd. Bring some nibbles for yourself and something I can get down my neck. Give my best to Spike. Bod. Kiss. Chapter 3. A Royal Big Head. What are you shivering for, Master Burglar? I'm little more than skin and bone these days. I'm not going to eat you. Much. I can't. A crowd kicked my teeth out in 1661, just after they chopped my head off. Will you please shut your rude fat gob when you yowl and put your tonsils away? I am not giving you the evils. I can't. A flock of Westminster Hall crows pecked my eyes out in 1661. Not my idea of heaven. Spiked on a 20-foot oak pole on top of a roof for 25 years with a splitting headache. Oh, you think that's fair, do you? For killing the poor old king? Shall I tell you what the king did to poor fenmen like you? He stole their fields. And when they had to steal to feed their families, he chopped their ears off. What about a caution? That was the caution. And when the poor were so hungry they stole again, the king hanged them. Harsh, you think. 
small-minded, mean, stupid, cruel, wrong. I thought so too. But that king didn't. He thought anything a king did was right. Like he thought any stupid, cruel idea in his head was clever. We have a crown of jewels and velvet on our head, he said. Therefore, we are God's gift. A right royal big head, yes. Until we chopped it off. Chapter 4. Roundheads, you lose. We dragged the king from his fine palace of Windsor. We did not call him king. We called him Charles Stuart. Murderer, traitor, burner, spoiler, mischief-maker, nation-destroyer, liar, sneak. He made war on his own country for seven years. Our people's army was called the Roundheads. It was led by Sir Thomas Fairfax and me. The king's army was called the Cavaliers. The Roundheads won. We made peace. The king broke the peace deal, so we beat him again in a second war. Everyone knew he was a liar now. Stand down as king and let your son take your place. Never! Then you must stand trial as a traitor. I am your lawful king. He always stammered when crossed. You cannot try me. If you do, you bring the judgment of God on this land. He spent weeks combing his long curls and bleating about his crucifixion. We told him, you are not God's chosen. You are a tyrant with the blood of England on your hands. We sentence you to death. He stood there, not a king now, just a short man in a black hat and grey beard. He looked thin and ill. Let him speak, said John Downs. Downs was one of only 59 men who signed the king's death warrant. Fairfax would not sign it. What's wrong with you? I answered. He's a traitor and a tyrant. Charles Stuart chuckled nervously. So I am not allowed to speak. I said, you can speak on the scaffold. Chapter 5. The King's Speech. We built a scaffold in Whitehall. We had nothing to hide. We invited a crowd. January the 30th, 1649, a cold morning. Charles was trembling with cold, not for fear, he said. He asked for a second shirt. He dressed himself neatly in his two shirts, not a hair out of place. He stared at the block. He stopped stammering. The block to the wooden platform is extremely low. May it be raised a little. No, said a soldier. Why not? No reason. He had a paper in his hand. I have not been allowed to make a speech. May I make it now? His head turned on its swan neck to me. 
death. Yes, he made his speech a history lesson. I am the king and you are my subjects. A subject and his king are clean different things. Cut off his head with the crown upon it. He lay down over the low block. A few grey hairs strayed out from his white cap. He tucked them back up neatly. I turned my head to the axeman. Do it boldly, Brandon. Oliver, no, begged Fairfax. The blade came down. The head shot off into the bloody basket. Brandon held it aloft by its hair. We felt blood spray our eyes and lips. We tasted royal blood. The army cheered. The crowd didn't. They groaned. Soft-headed fools. I said, men will remember this axe blow forever. Good men with pride, only tyrants with fear. I was patient all my life with good men, men who tried hard to be good. I only killed bad men, traitors, liars, thieves, kings. Why are you shivering, burglar? Chapter 6 Head Honcho I ran the country for ten years. They asked me to be king. I said, we no longer need kings. We didn't, until I died. Bury him as a king, they said. Over my dead body, I said. They did it anyway. Two years later, they invited Charles I's son back to be King Charles II. I turned in my grave. Charles II heard me. He sent his men to dig me up. Do you mind? I said. Some of us are trying to rest in peace. They took me on a coffin ride to the King's Head in Holborn. Bradshaw and my son-in-law, Major General Ireton, were at the bar. Bradshaw was the sober judge who sentenced Charles I to death. The old rotter looked as stiff as ever. He'd been dead two years. Ireton died of a fever fighting the Irish in 1651. His ten-year corpse stood to attention. He looked well-preserved for his age. Long live King Charles II, shouted the king's men from the straw. They were dead drunk. We were dead unimpressed. What's the matter, Cromwell? Hiccuped the drunk on his back in the straw. Too stuck up to drink our new king's elf. I was never against drinking. To keep wine out of the country lest men be drunk... 
When they turned my old house in Ely into the Cromwell Arms, it wasn't the first drink that house had seen. I even did a bit of brewing once. My redcoats and I never went into a battle without a pint or two inside us. We never lost a charge either. Everyone drank beer in those days, morning, noon and night. The whole country was merry the whole time. We drank beer and wine because the London water killed you. But I never drank to a king, and I never drank like a pig at trough. These royalists did. The barkey was longer than the king's drinking bill. A man came in, waiting to be served. He pointed at me. Is that Cromwell? The drunk on the floor broke wind and belched. Good morning, Sham. Yes. Sam, Mr. Peeps to you. How long has my Lord Cromwell been there? He asked. Four days, Peeps, shouted a drunk from the floor, and he still hasn't been served. The royalists laughed themselves sick. I can't wait that long for a drink, said Sam, and I will be reporting your behaviour in my diary. Bradshaw wasn't looking well. Green, mouldy, sweating blood and pus and his backside. I dripped into his ear. You weren't preserved like me and Ireton, were you? How'd you know, he dribbled. You smell. You smell? I do not smell, he grinned. I stink. Someone's pinched my nose, shouted Ireton. Then how do you smell, I asked. Not as bad as Bradshaw. Chapter 7 Off Our Heads Ireton, Bradshaw and I were leaking towards the fireplace. The drunks took a leak on the floor. Use the fireplace, you pigs, said the barman. You kick Cromwell's crutch, said a royalist. I'll punch Bradshaw's face in. He threw a punch and his fist stuck. He plucked it free. Bradshaw's eye came away in his ale, followed by his guts and some of Bradshaw's. I leaned over and winked at the royalist. Bradshaw wasn't preserved. You're punching a rotten cheese. My mouth oozed forward over his nose and mouth. He tore his face from mine with a faint suck. They brought sledges outside the king's head and dragged us in our coffins to Tyburn. Things looked grave. We were jeered and stoned and yelled and pelted and barked and spat at. And in the case of anyone close enough to get a whiff of Bradshaw, sicked on. (coughs) Nice to get out of that booze hole and into the fresh air, said Bradshaw. That barman had the worst B.O. in London. We arrived at Tyburn Tree at 9am. Heroes of the Republic. They hanged us like criminals. Me, fresh as a daisy. Ireton, ten years buried, hanging like a dried rat, except for the stuff streaming out of his backside. Bradshaw, with his nose and the fingers of his right hand, rotted off in a pus-soaked winding sheet. For six hours, the crowd laughed its head off. Then they hacked off ours. Bradshaw's kind of fell off. Ireton snapped off like a dried apple. 
mine took eight cuts. More cloth round his neck than a bishop, stiff-necked pig. Don't call me a bishop. They smashed the end of my nose off. They knocked out most of my teeth. Hey, watch the face. I'm supposed to be getting it in the neck. Some jokers cut off Bradshaw's toes and threw them to the crowd. One pocketed my ear. Finally, they got through my collarbone. My head hit the basket. They held it up to the cheering crowds. They kicked our headless bodies into a deep pit under the gallows. One body got lost in the crowd. The king's man looked worried. As long as we ditch Cromwell, the body in the push green cloth, Yes, we did. Definitely. Chapter 8. Heads Up. Heads up, lads, I said. Here come the battle spikes. What are they going to do with those? Bradshaw was falling apart. Pull yourself together, man. It can't hurt you. I can't think of a worse place to get a spike, said Bradshaw's head. I can, said Ireton's, but luckily it's down there in the pit. Bradshaw closed his sockets. They spiked and hoisted him. He didn't notice. Hey up, Bradshaw, you're on. On what? A 20-foot oak pole on the top of Westminster Hall. Bradshaw went green. Then it was my turn. You could see half of London up on that roof, until the birds got your eyes. I always said the same crowd who cheered my speeches would cheer as loud for my hanging. Now they did. Up came Ireton to make three bold traitors. Me on one side of Bradshaw, Ireton on the other. Not so bad once you're up, bled Ireton. Is Bradshaw's head in the middle because he was the head of the court that chopped off the king's head? My tongue was spiked. Just nod. I nodded. We made headlines in all the papers. King killing killjoys cut down to size by common crowd. The Royalist Times. Woundheads warned by wicked royals. The Puritan. Up yours, Crom. The Sun. Bouncy actress busts King's bed. The Stage. Well, maybe not the stage. None of them got the story right. You will, Master Burglar. You will trace the cut through Bod's collarbone to this dirty great chop in my neck. The last of eight. Put your finger on it. Of course you can. It's only like touching a frog. That's right. It wasn't my body in the pit. My family did a switch while the crowd's back was turned. It was Bradshaw's. One whiff should have told them. His body was the rotting green of a two-year corpse. Mine was the sweet green of royal grave cloth. And it was already heading north in the back of a cart. If a headless body can head north. Chapter 9. Headless. Can a body ask where you're taking it? Yorkshire. Ha! They want some more, do they? 
Bod, wind your neck in. There's a price on your head. My head's in London, on a spike. Your body, then, and our heads. Think about it. Think? What with? Oi, Yorkshire, my new model army smashed yours at Master Moore and I'll do it again. We risk our heads for his body and he yells his neck off. I never thought a relative of mine would be so spineless. Where's your strong Cromwell jaw? Where's yours? What happened to that fully round-headed Oliver we loved? That wise head on strong shoulders, always thinking of others. They spiked it. I'm brainless brawn now, I can't think. So, it's a gut feeling, a no-brainer. You're a rebel hero, the model of a king-killer. The royalists want your relics trampled out of sight, out of mind. Then why did they dig me up? Come on, Yorkshire, if you think you're hard enough. Shh, because you were buried as a king, in King Henry VII's tomb. They want your head on a traitor's spike instead, and your remains in a common pit, spat on and walked over, an example to anyone who even thinks about going head to head with a king. Let them find me. I won't spill my guts to any royalist patrol. You haven't got any guts, Bod. They were scraped out with a trowel and the hole filled with spices, like a king. Remember? Like a king? Me? I hated kings. Shh. Stop jawing back there. Royal patrol. What's all this, then? A dead body, constable. What did you think it was? Oliver Cromwell? Cocky southerners, eh? And what's a dead body doing in the back of your cart? Nothing much. It's Uncle Bod. We're taking him home for a decent family burial. Where's his head? It got held up in London. Chapter 10 Chop, chop! So, Master Burglar, now you know where me and Bod live. Which means I have to chop your head off. What's that? Your children need their father? You love your wife? You'll get an honest job? Oh, shut your noise and listen. All right. My worst enemy would tell you I always gave people a choice and a second chance. Even the king. Make sure you take yours. It's this. Next time you come to my old college, make sure you can read the signs. And if I catch you with your hands in the treasure again, it's a bolt hole in Yorkshire for you with brainless bod. How long for? In death, in Italy. No, you can't have a lift. I'm heading back to heaven, and you're climbing back out of this hole on your own hands and feet, with your head held high. Well, don't just stand there. I'm giving you a head start. Leg it. Chop, chop, before I change my mind. Cheeky burglar. Cromwell's Talking Head was written and performed by Gareth Calway. The programme was produced by Paul Tyler and Johnny Hall.